0: Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gem that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Welcome to another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm your host, Joe Velarde, and I'm so excited to have a good friend of mine, Chris High, on the podcast. He is in Hoboken area in a church called Hoboken Grace. And The reason why we are getting people outside of the immediate lehigh valley which we're in uh, is because i think during this time it is so important to hear what leaders throughout uh, you know the country are experiencing and going through and what they're learning regarding covid the racial unrest all kinds of things that they're experiencing Mm -hmm. Uh, secondly uh, because i just uh, really think that as we hear from others that have influenced me uh, it's important for you to recognize the voices that are impacting the way I I view the vision for the valley that God has put me in. And then lastly, I just have a lot of questions about life and and leadership. And I thought instead of me just setting up a time for Chris and I, I thought, you know what, let's hit the record button and let others in to this conversation. And uh, so I uh, want you guys to be able to lean in and to hear uh, from Chris's vantage point and perspective. Again, he's in Hoboken, New Jersey. But Chris, welcome uh, to the Vision for the Valley podcast.
1: Well thanks for having me. Uh, Excited. Excited to uh, jump into this conversation together. Yeah man. Crazy time to have a conversation.
0: That's right man. Well hey tell us a little bit about yourself and Hoboken Grace.
1: Yeah so uh, I've been planning churches in New York City since 2003 so I guess that's 17 years now if I can do the math correctly uh, Hoboken Grace is actually the third church plant that I've been a part of here. Uh, the first that I was the lead planter with, I actually had the opportunity to plant a church with my dad, uh, previous to this. Uh, he's still, still there. And we came out uh, of that church plant to, to come here to Hoboken and, and, uh, establish what is now Hoboken Grace. And that's been 12 years. Wow. Uh, so that's awesome it's been amazing to see what amazing to see what god's done
0: yeah so tell us tell me i didn't know that part about you so you have 17 total years with church planning so can you tell us a little bit about what seat you had in each of those experiences
1: yeah so the first one first one was just an internship that kind of developed into a little bit more uh, uh of an opportunity but god had different plans um and in a, in a really weird set of circumstances uh, ended up stepping away from that church plant to be able to team up with my dad. Um, so the first one I wasn't at terribly long. The second one, I was there for about five years. Wow. And in that one, uh, I was very much, very much kind of associate pastor role. Hmm. It's tough when you're church planning, there's not really super defined roles. Hmm. Uh, you kind of have at the beginning, about 15 roles and then you're trying to work those roles down as, as the church gets established. And, uh, but, but but primarily it would probably be associate pastor that I would have been at for a little bit there. I was also the worship pastor, which I'm thankful that there aren't videos of today (laughs) because it would just be embarrassing. And I, I tell our worship, our worship leaders that I, I used to be a worship pastor and they laugh, they laugh pretty, pretty heartily which is is very much offensive but uh (laughs) but i but i completely understand at the same time
0: what what do you so you play instruments is that right
1: no no i just sang
0: okay all right no
1: no there's nothing there's nothing (laughs) good about it There's, there's so many jokes that could be told at this point
0: well i wanted to ask you so i know you're not originally from you know the tri state area you know new jersey where are you originally from tell tell people a little bit about like even what got you guys to to this part of the country
1: yeah so my dad actually uh was hired to a position as a youth pastor in new jersey back in 98 so my family's been in new jersey since 98 and when i first came to new jersey i despised it
0: hmm. i don't know
1: if i don't know how much time you have spent in new jersey hmm. But it's not the greatest place in the world, and it doesn't have, at, it, it, at least when you first encounter it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I stayed in New Jersey for maybe a month before I left. I'm originally from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I grew up on a massive farm in the middle of nowhere, Kalamazoo, Michigan. I've lived all over, though, which really was God preparing me for planting a church in Hoboken, because uh, there are very few people in Hoboken from Hoboken. They're from all over the world. And I think in preparation for where God has me now, he really had me live in a lot of different places, a lot of different cultures, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, New York city. Those are all very distinct, uh, different, distinctly different cultures. And It took me, it it was, it was a crazy journey. I never thought that I'd be at a church plant in New York city, but while I was in New York city, I really fell in love with the city. It's, it's interesting. I always tell my, tell my wife, I'd rather be in the country or in the city. It's the in between that really gets me because well, people, people don't realize how much time you spend outside if you're in a city, especially a city like New York, because you're not jumping in a car, and driving somewhere you're walking almost everywhere that you that you go even now I ride my bike to and from work uh, and even in the middle of the winter I'm usually walking to and from work so you're you're outside a lot which was big for me and then uh, and then I mean it's really a miracle what God did in my heart as it pertains to as it pertains to New Jersey because I began to my dad was just beginning the church plant and I filled in to speak for him a couple times. And as I did and interacted with the people there, he gave me this phenomenal heart for New Jersey. And I remember being in New York and it was a really hard decision to leave New York. This was a very successful church plant. And I knew that it, it had a lot of popularity. Uh, so uh, if you were looking to be a well-known name, it was definitely a good place to be but I remember praying through it and I was really, it was funny cause I was really frustrated that God wasn't answering my prayer of whether or not I should stay or whether or not I should go. Uh, but in the middle of, of my, my prayer time, I wasn't spending the time in scripture that I needed to be. And as I got back to that, I came across this passage that you're familiar with that where Moses, God has basically decided that he's done with the nation of Israel because of the fact that they've once again turned away from him and he says something really powerful to Moses. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to take them out and I'm going to start over with you. A lot of people miss the fact that he says, I'm going to start over with you because basically what he's saying to Moses is you get to be the next Abraham. So no one ever says the God of Moses, people always say the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, right? And so he says to Moses, I'm going to start over with you. You're going to be the really the father of what I'm going to do next. And Moses says to God, if you take them out, take me out too. And I read that, and I just felt God say to me, If you're going to be a pastor, that's how you have to feel about the people that you lead. And and I realized I didn't feel that way about the people of Manhattan. Sorry if you're in Manhattan and listening to this. Uh, I love you. I just, you know, I just wouldn't go to hell for you. Um, but, which is interesting. You know, I, I, did a, I did a message this past year called, Who Would You Go to Hell For? Uh, because Paul says the same thing about the Jews. That's he right. says, if, if my brethren could come to know Christ, I would be accursed for them. I, I would actually be willing to go to hell if it meant that they would have uh if if it meant that they would be saved which is a phenomenal statement Mm -hmm. but but I felt God say to me that that's the way that you need to think about that's the way that you need to feel about the people that you're going to lead and I just didn't have that heart but then as I began to fill in for my dad as my time in the city was winding down I felt that for those people Mm -hmm. and there's, there's a lot of interesting things about ministry in New Jersey, but one, one thing in particular is it's hard work to see someone come to know Christ, uh, in this culture. And I, I I really, I just developed a heart for that hard work, that hard ground where you're going to spend three years and it might even be two years of someone attending your church before they're actually going to place their faith in Jesus. Because they're, they're so skeptical and, and God just gave me a passion for that. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I think,
0: yeah, I think that's so important for us to hear too, is just even recognizing our own story about, um, you never want to minimize how you're being shaped even by circumstances. In and in a, oftentimes we look at it in the negative, but I think in the positive of what you described, like even from where you lived, right? You didn't know <laughs> that all those yeah. experiences were going to shape you. And, you know, I spent some time uh, working in a church in Manhattan and in, in, in Jersey city as well. So I have a, a great affection for that area yeah, and, and in Hoboken in Jersey city aren't too far uh, from one another. And, you know, one of the things that is so true about that and what you said is the people that make up those areas very seldom are from that area, just like you, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not, you weren't born there and and raised there per se, you know, you spent some time there in school. Um, But, you know, I think even how that has prepared you for that moment. And I think even to recognize the difference between good ideas and God ideas. Like, so it would have been a good Mm -hmm. idea to be in Manhattan, right? Like, (laughs) uh, like, it's a good idea. Like, there's, there's a clear uh, pathway there. But that wasn't uh, God's idea for your life. You know, it was, hey, man, I I have something for you specific. um, And you need to follow the unique thing that I have for you, which is a heart for people. And there's a specific people that he had in mind for you, the people in New Jersey. And really, Mm -hmm. that's even for me, like, you know, the reason I came back here uh, was same thing. It, I, people kept talking about New York city. And I remember being in meetings and I'm like, man, I, my heart does just not beat the way you're describing. <laughs> I would try, you know, like you're trying to will yeah. yourself there. You're like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, yeah I'm with yeah. you. I feel you, man. I feel you. Uh, but, but you're like, no, I don't feel that. Like I, I, you know, and, and I think like you said, are, are we willing, are we willing to put a good idea to the side for the God idea, even though it's going to be maybe more costly. Uh, because i I do think it is costly to follow a call um, that is put on your life it's worth it and it's satisfying um, but the you know the the road that you've taken i mean Halboken's a great place but it's it's not easy soil you know it's it's hard you know it's um, it's uh, just like any place uh, but specifically when we talk about the northeast you're you're addressing some specific challenges. Whether it's the spiritual soil, the busyness of people's lives, the you know the things that are difficult to come by, like I think about for for you guys, like you you know as you think about buildings and and all the challenges financially, you know, it's there's no real uh, uh, affordable per se options. You know, the, you have to really be thinking yeah. through a lot of different things. So, you know, I, I think the call of that um, is so important, and I and I would encourage us even as we're listening to this to think about. What are what are the things that you're in that are preparing you for for potentially what's next? You don't know fully in the moment, but I think about you you've been following what you knew to be true of saying no to the Manhattan stuff and saying yes to the opportunity with your dad and your dad is a great great guy, but I think man what a great primer for what was to come with Hoboken Grace and 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 really the gift it's been to so many. I I have learned so much from you guys and you have been a constant encourager to me and a willing to share uh, thoughts and insights uh, with me. Um, but one of the things I, I wanted to, to talk about with you beyond your own journey through getting to Hoboken Grace and, and the establishment of that church, which is, again, an incredible church, is really, you know, what what are you learning through uh, COVID-19, and how has it changed the way you've led? And I'll also add, if, if you feel so inclined, I didn't t- give you this question beforehand, uh, but even the racial unrest stuff as well. But how has that changed the way uh, that you've led?
1: It's, it's It's been obviously a really, really difficult time. It, it's interesting to try to lead when you're not in the same room. mm mm-hmm and this has been a really interesting thing for me because i i don't know if you're familiar with strengths finder yeah and and that process which we really value as a staff my number one strength is the strength of command
0: Hmm.
1: which is a it's an in-person strength Mm -hmm. and So it's been very interesting to me to be in a situation where as a leader I've lost my number one strength Mm -hmm. and then to figure out, okay, how do I adjust to that? How do I, uh, what do I need to change now that I'm not able to be in the same room with the people that I'm speaking to, but even more so, I think it's not being in the same room with the people on my staff. And having staff that are all, you know, all over the place and literally all over the place geographically, because some of them actually had to move, uh, actually had to move home to, to be with their parents during this time, because we've got a couple that are, were really high risk. Um, and so trying to, trying to be able to manage, manage that, trying to, uh, increase connection during a time that seems very disconnected. And I, I think that one of the things that's really important as a leader is to know your strengths, to to know your weaknesses, so that in that moment, you're aware of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to thrive in this, or I'm going to have to really, I'm going to have to really push through this. Um, And and then also to know your people well enough to be able to adjust as you go to be able to deliver uh, what it is that you've, what what it is that you've delivered in the past. So I'll I'll give you an example, Uh, right? Every every church, every organization has something that is uh, primary inside of that organization. There's a reason that, okay, people really connect to this organization uh, for this. And for us, it's connection. Because as we said earlier, people in Hoboken are from all over. They're not from here. So they move here. They don't have family here. Uh, They have have friends. They're connected in that way, but not, not really meaningful connection. And so we've that's really been, if you ask people, why do you go to Hoboken Grace? The first, one of the first things that they're going to talk about is connection. They're going to talk about our dinner groups. They're going to talk about that experience, the, the experience on Sunday of feeling like you're home. And all of a sudden, we lost that. So we knew right away okay, we're going to have to build out some serious systems that allow us to be able to maintain that connection and go above and beyond when it comes to that connection. So obviously groups moving online is, is, was a big part of that. But in addition to that, we wanted to be more connected. So one of the things that we did early on is that Anthony, who's, um, my, uh, my equip director or care director, him and I immediately went online where we're interacting with our people on a day-to-day basis. Mm. So every morning at, at first it was 10, now it's 8am. Um, we have time where we're working through our daily Bible reading plan with our people, praying through things. And all of that was designed to increase connection. Uh, one of the things that we started to do right away is that we called all of our people. Um, the, at first we were calling all of our people every two weeks. Right. What we found is that during this time, people lose track of time. It'd be funny. We'd call someone two weeks later. They'd be like, didn't you call me yesterday? Like no, that was two weeks ago. So, so we actually space it out a little. Now we do it once a month to be able to. And all of that is trying to address a strength that we knew that we had lost as we moved into this, because you can't you 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 can't just say well you know it 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 is what it is you've you've got to be able to adjust. Adjust to what I would say was our consistent deliverable that now had been really undermined in a pretty powerful way.
0: I think it's so important even to to even um, look at ourselves, and I think the principle I took away even from that is uh, even in even as we look at the long view here, because I would love to tell you COVID's going to go away soon, <laughs> uh, but the more I think we're looking at the data. It doesn't look very hopeful. Uh, that's going to be like a couple months. Um, you know, and again, I'm not trying to project what it is or not, but I think the, the principle that he just said is so important for all of us. What's your weaknesses? What's your strengths? What's the core part of who you are as an organization and how do you have to pivot or change uh, yep. to deliver that? And I, I think Chris, one of the things that I've watched, even as I follow you on social media, um, Hoboken Grace and is I've watched how much content has come out from this time and not that content wasn't happening before but more of that content was people within your church like highlighting those before so before COVID it was highlighting what was going on in the community it's still doing that but now I, I see even more of you taking a proactive like hey no I need to be um, connecting in this way with the people of Hoboken and i and just kudos to you for doing that because i I know that you know like you said you know your strength in in person commanding presence and I know you, and that is one of your strengths uh, is you know all of a sudden it's changed you know you're not necessarily in in the, um, the same room with people and um, and so you're having to really make the necessary adjustments and I think for all of us, we need to be evaluating hey, what adjustments do I need to make um, in this current reality? And to take the long view, because I, I think that it would be easy to do one of two things. One is to say, hey, well, it's just the way it is. You know, I'm not going to really worry about it. You know, I'm, not, I'm just going to let it be what it is. Um, or the other part is to just kind of think um, in some uns- unsustainable ways. And what I mean by that is to, to go big on things versus to make incremental uh, changes that are uh, collectively going to make a big change and a significant um, bring significant fruit to your, your culture and your church and, and your community and your organization. Um, so I, I think one of the things that as I listen to you, Chris, is I think you've really said, hey, we're going to, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, we're going to figure out what we need to do to adjust and then to have a sustainable pathway going forward. And so I was just curious, how have you been able to take the long view even in the reality of not knowing, you know, this is so uncertain what's going to happen with COVID.
1: Well, I think that one of the things that we did early on is that we, we knew this was going to be a long experience. Yeah. I think there were a lot of people who thought that this was going to be a a very short break. Mm. I think early on, we were prepared for it to be short because yeah. it's easy if it's short. Right. But you 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 have to move into you have to move into transitions, expecting them to be longer than you expect them to be. Mm-hmm. So anytime you move into transition, one of the one of the greatest flaws in the midst of transition is that you expect it to be short, mm-hmm. and and if you expect it to be short and it goes long, it's devastating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So just think about it in terms of, just think about it in terms of seasons inside of your church, because I know as a church planner, you've probably experienced this where you've said to your wife, Hey, listen, this is just a season. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just for this amount of time. And, and so you say, well, we're, we're just, I'm just gonna have to push into this for this, you know, for the next month. Well, if it goes two months, your wife is not happy. Hmm. Right. But so, and, and and it's actually that way with almost every transition in your life, you think, okay, well I'm moving, but I'll be settled by this point. And, but if you're not settled by that point, then it becomes really, it, it, it causes a lot of um, unrest, if you will. So, so we, but if you expect it to be long and it ends up being shorter, then you're, you're, you're golden. So we really came into it, expected it to be long. Mm. And then the other thing um, is to move into uncertainty with an entrepreneurial spirit and an entrepreneurial mindset. Mm. So you, uh, great church planners come in with a plan that they hold very loosely, yeah, very loosely. Whenever I meet a church planner and he is talking me through his plan and he is convinced like this is absolutely positively, this is how it's going to work out. And, they've, and, and uh, I'm very skeptical and I'm thinking, dude, you're going to hit a wall in about six to eight months and it's going to take you a long time to recover from that. As opposed to the person who comes in, it's like, I think, I think this is how it's going to work out. But uh, an entrepreneur is, con- is it's constantly has his head on a swivel because he's just watching and, and looking for multiple pathways. Because if so, that if he hits that wall, like he bounces back a little bit, but he already has seen the other pathway because he's got his head on a swivel. So he's able to really quickly adjust and move. And one of the things that we started to do years ago at Hoboken Grace is to use the word try. As much as we possibly can, we use the word "try," which early on I thought, "Man, that's I—I I just don't feel like that's that's good vision. Good vision is I know exactly how this is going to work out, and this is yeah. what we're going to do, and it's going to be phenomenal, and it's going to be amazing." Well, that's vision. That's selling people on your plan, not selling people on your vision, mm-hmm. which is a massive mistake that leaders make. So good. You cannot sell people on your plan, sell people on where you're going to end up and what you're gonna accomplish. And and then say, so we're gonna try this. And my elders do a great job of holding me accountable to this because we learned this together. And years ago I told them, don't let me sell people on the plan. Remind me over and over again to use the word try. So even when we started the morning show with me and Anthony, we said, hey, we're going to try this for a couple of weeks and see if this is beneficial. Hey, let's try calling everybody and seeing if it makes a big difference. Hey, let's try this COVID food bag response thing, which by the way, has not been all that successful Mm -hmm. because I mean, I don't know what it's like where you are, but for most of the people here who are are on unemployment, they make more money than they used to make. That's right. Yeah. So, it's been really interesting in terms of response plans. Now, do I think that that's always going to be the case? No, I think there's going to be a long term fallout from this, and we want to be ready for that. But we've tried a lot of different things over the last couple of months that haven't worked, but we didn't lose credibility because we used the word try. Yeah. yeah. So, if, I, if we come out there and we're like, we're going to do this, and this is how it's going to work, and this is, and even when it comes to reopening, uh, reopening is the wrong word because we're fully open. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. When it comes to re-entry, right? Because mm-hmm. we, can't, we can't meet inside at this point. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people want me to come out and say, this is our plan and we're going to do this and we're going to meet like this. And it's always like, no, no. Uh, what, like, what's our vision? Well, our vision is to help people find their way back to God. hmm so we may try meeting in August, but I'm not gonna come out and say, hey, we're meeting and we're gonna start meeting on this date in August and that's gonna be it. And then we're gonna add the, the second service here. As a matter of fact, as elders, we decided last night to try one service with no plan for the second. Like, we're just gonna try it. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. And, and here's what you, and, and here's, here's well, what's the evaluation? Well, does it accomplish the vision? Mm. Mm. So try your plan, and if it accomplishes the vision, continue with the plan. But if it doesn't, try something else.
0: Oh man, that—that's just—that's gold. That is so good, man. Because I think that's where leaders get in a a real difficult position because we we confuse vision for plans, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're not the same thing, and then we end up. First of all, misleading ourselves and then misleading others—not in a—not an, intentionally, but we because we're so we want to be so uh, confident, you know, and exude yeah. uh, assurance. But we don't know. So we do know what we want to see happen, like the vision, the outcomes. So trying is is such a great word. Like we're going to try this. Like I want to use that more in my vocabulary <laughs> because I, I think also even with that. It allows you then when you start giving them the runway of like, hey, we're not sure um, how long this is going, but we're anticipating a very long period of time. You know, like even like you said about transitions, we need to anticipate it going longer uh, than shorter. Um, And I I think I'm coming to some of those realizations. Not that I I didn't have a short view before, but the more I'm in it, I'm like, wow, this is even longer than I thought it was going to be so yeah, i i'm sure. real I'm realizing you know what I need to probably even have a a bigger view of some of those transition times and even um really clarifying the difference between you know the the vision the outcome um and and then the trying part of the plans and I think for all of us man, we need to be examining that because this not only impacts you know what we do as our with our roles chris but even what we do as we lead ourselves in our homes, in our neighborhoods, you know, whatever organization you're in, if you can get the transitions down and the vision versus plans <laughs> down
1: yeah,
0: really yeah. well, I mean, it will help people so much because I think that's when you see teamwork happen. By the way, has your elder team responded to that kind of uh, leadership shifts as far as using the word try and, and that those kind of ideas?
1: No, they, they love it they love it. And, um, mainly because there's a couple of them that have journeyed. They've learned these lessons with me, yeah, Yeah. which is really valuable. So they, they under, they understand the importance of it. Mm. And, and if you do it, I know there are leaders out there that say, man, how am I going to sell people on trying something? Mm. And if you always lead, by I know it, we've got it, the plan's perfect. When you, when you start to make this shift, people, people are going to struggle with it at the beginning because they want that false sense of security. Yeah. And that's all it is. Make no mistake about it. It is a false sense of security Mm -hmm. whenever we, whenever we communicate our plan, like it's certain Mm -hmm. and And so at first they may struggle with it if they're used to you being a different kind of leader. But what happens over time is you create a different culture, Mm -hmm. a culture that enjoys trying new things, Uh. which is really valuable. I mean, it's it, I cannot possibly understate the value of developing a culture in your church that loves to try new things. Because historically that has been a massive problem for the church Yeah. where they, they, they get locked into their plan and this is the right plan. And this plans, not only does it work now, it's always going to work mm-hmm. and it's going to work for our generation and the next generation and the next, that's an, that's an unhealthy, that's an unhealthy culture. So if you do it long enough and it becomes the, st- the way in which you lead, people enjoy it. They yeah. begin to look at, okay. And, and the, the one, the one downside to it is that it will get to the point, And this is really where Hoboken grace <laughs> is where if you're not trying something new, people are like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> we need to try something new. Like we need to try something. Why aren't we experimenting with something? Um, and, uh, that, that's that's a lot of fun when your people interact with you that way, uh, as opposed to as opposed to the other way.
0: That's really cool, man. Because I think the stag you can get stagnant as a church or any organization when we're not willing to try because we're so set in what we've done or we're confident of the way forward. Um, where this is really it just it's permission giving in a lot of ways. That's what it mm-hmm. is. It's like hey, we're we're gonna live in this tension of Hey, what we know to be true is what what we're called to, the vision, but what we we are uncertain about is how it's all going to be delivered. Like, we're going to try these things and whatever Mm -hmm. works, we're going to keep feeding that until it doesn't work, right? And then we're going to make a necessary adjustment. And I think in the culture that we're living in right now, um, I I think those two uh, elements to have a long view are so key and they will serve you well even after this time. The, the transition time of how long it, something's going to take to to see it from a, hey, I'm going to look at it as long as I think it could possibly go and have yeah. that in my mind and then even communicate that. And then the trying concept as well. And I think that's really powerful that even as a team uh, that your elders have gotten around that. And even that you've given and asked for them to hold you accountable to that, you know, because I, I do think it's, especially with your gift and any of my, my giftings, that, that commanding presence, right. We, 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 we start talking, right. It's easy to start talking (laughs) in, in false assurances. (laughs) Like we don't even know we're doing it. Right. We're like, so convincing. Right. Um, And then they're like, you know what you just said? (laughs) Uh, And you're like, Oh, whoops. Well, how many, by the way, how many elders do you have around you, Chris? If you don't mind me asking.
1: So currently I have four and then I've, I have five that are in training right now. So oh, that's cool. by the end of the year, we're, we should be at nine. Okay. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm only
0: asking that cause we're in the middle of uh, reshuffling a little bit, our team. And, and I think it's always interesting to hear what others are doing as far as their leadership yep. team within the elders aspect of it. And I've learned a lot, like you said, a lot of, lessons with a lot of the guys but uh, many of them um have have led with me for many many years like a decade and and some some of them are transitioning off just because it's been a long period of time you know and so we're getting new guys and that's necessary yeah getting new guys on on board i mean do you have any thoughts about leading an elder team well i know that i'm just throwing out things as as you were saying different parts here but do you have any ideas and, and thoughts on that
1: man i i am probably the last person to talk to you about this it it has been such a learning experience we've tried a lot of different things yeah and i i think the biggest thing is really intentional training Mm -hmm. our training is very long Mm -hmm. so i get a lot of time with them before they become elders Mm -hmm. and being willing in that process to come to the point where you say, I just don't think this is a fit. Yeah, I think that you have a little bit different vision for what church would look like than maybe, than, than the vision of Hoboken grace. And sometimes you're like, sometimes people will say, Oh, well, you mean your vision, Chris? No, 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 no. I don't mean that. (laughs) I mean the vision that we have been working and building for the last 12 years. Yeah, The vision. And, and I tell people this all the time, I'm responsible. I'm responsible to those people who have given their lives to build what has been built here as Hoboken Grace. I'm responsible to maintain that vision that they, that they poured their life into. And I could walk you back to the past 12 years and go name after name after name after name of people who aren't here anymore because God's taking them other places. But they gave their life to be able to develop a church that loves our city the way that it does that presents the message of jesus the way that we do and uh that's that's a shared held vision that we want to um that that as leaders we have a responsibility to uh to steward and and that means that we need people on that team who want to steward that vision
0: oh so good man i i agree with that 100 Hundred percent, And I think a lot of times people don't, you know, don't recognize, you know, that part of it, you know, that it, it isn't, we're trying to protect our vision. This is the vision that the Lord has for, for mm-hmm. this church and people have sacrificed for it. And one of the things that I know about your vision, I know you hit on this, um, is really around, you know, dinner groups and mm-hmm. really creating meaningful community, um, as well as a part of, and not the full part, but a big part of your discipleship pathway. Um, So I just wanted to ask you, can you share with people just even the vision of dinner groups, you know, what that is, how that's played out, what that's done for you guys, and even different ways that you guys have have sought connection? Um, Because you said that's one of your, and I see that, you know, just from talking to you and even uh, watching your social media feeds, that this is such a big value of your community.
1: Yeah. So dinner groups is a, is an interesting thing. Um, It's, it's actually, it's been interesting to see other churches pick this up uh, around the country because um, it's really just something that came organically out of Hoboken Grace out of a weird situation. So we started with small groups, life groups, all of the different things that you would call a group, you know, early on all the different names that they would have. And we couldn't get anyone to join early on at Hoboken Grace because our people are so busy. Yeah. One of the things that's usually pretty interesting is I'll talk to another pastor about their group system and specifically when their groups start. And they'll talk to me about the groups that start at 6 or start at 7. And they're always shocked when I tell them that we don't have a single group that starts before 8. Mm-hmm. And 90% of our groups start after 8.30 because our people are so busy. They're they're not home before then. They're just yeah. not home. Yep. So they're very 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 busy people uh and their jobs are very demanding. Mm. So we would ask them to join this small group and the they're just like no, I don't have any time. I don't have any time. So we're like how what are we going to do? And so we just decided, listen. People have to eat. Mm. So what if we have all of our groups eat together? And, and then we went to our friends and said, listen, you have to eat anyway. So just come eat with us and talk through the conversation from last Sunday. Ooh. And they're like, all right, I'll do that. And they just, they, that's how dinner groups were started. Um, it's funny cause we call them dinner groups, but now there are some that meet at lunchtime and some that meet at breakfast time. And, <laughs>
0: yeah. Um,
1: but we really do. Uh, w- one of the things that, that we've prioritized through, over the time is that our groups really do eat together. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, some people are like, Oh, did you start that? Because in acts two, they, you know, they <laughs> ate together. I mean, we, we knew that that obviously we knew that that happened. That's yeah. not why we did it. We did it because we couldn't get people to show up without it and but we found that it was really meaningful in forming connection especially for people who don't have family here yeah because eating together is something that typically you do with family and sharing a dinner together is something that you do with someone that you're usually pretty close to uh especially in someone's house and and a lot of people are shocked by the fact that we do it in homes because uh, I know a lot of a lot of other churches in the metro area a lot of their groups are are in public spaces or you know even if they were to eat meat to eat like well you you 're not, not going to invite someone in their, into their home. We wanted people in homes eating together mm. uh, because of the unique connection that that forms i mean if you look at the studies they 'll tell you the most important factor in the development of a young specifically young boys is dinner time with their family. Mm. What, what is it about that that's so significant? It's not just the time. It's specifically that they're eating. There's something about when we're sharing a meal with someone that's really powerful. So that's, that's really how dinner groups started. And then we did something crazy that to this day I still don't think is a good idea. <laughs> uh, but we still do it because we just decided to try it. And then it yeah. just took off. So we our groups early on where respons- a big party culture. Yeah. So early on our groups were responsible to throw four parties a year. It, early on, it may have been one a month, but they're, they're responsible for throw four parties a year. We call them connection events, but they're basically just a party that's thrown by the group. And we invite the entire church to it. Oh. But the goal really is to have the group plus two. So the group plus two other people, you know, whether it's their friends or someone who heard about it through the announcement on Sunday. Um, And then we, we just, we, we would have the groups throw these parties and I'll have conversations with other pastors and they're like, Oh, so do you monitor those? I'm like, no. Oh, do you like, do you have someone there? No, I have no idea what happens there.
0: (laughs) And sometimes
1: it's been bad. Like we had one group do like a YouTube party and there were videos that should not have been shown. Mm. Um, right. But, but we have no control over it, which yeah. freaks other pastors out. Like, how, what do you mean you have no control? I'm like, I have no control over it whatsoever. <laughs> um, but it was amazing how, how it, it allowed us to be able to connect so many different people in so many different ways. I, I, I don't remember the number from this past year. I could, I could look it up, but I think right now at Hoboken Grace with our, specifically dinner group run uh we throw over 200 parties a year wow and the great thing about it is that is that the more that that happened the more diverse the opportunities were so if you walked in on sunday it was very very unlikely that you weren't going to soon hear of a party that you would want to go to
0: Hmm.
1: so you may hear about like a uh painting event that you want to go to or you hear about a karaoke event you love karaoke or you hear about um, a trivia event you love trivia or whatever it may be they were they were all over the place Um, and that really had to do with us not having control but just allowing those groups to figure out like what would our friends come to okay let's throw that party and well well, that's it's so interesting because I don't know if I would have picked up on that until I asked you that
0: question because um, meaning, like I know you guys have a lot of events, but I didn't realize they were so attached to the dinner groups throwing those events. You know, throughout the year, we so, literally
1: have no, we don't have a single staff person in charge of it. That's fine. We so don't man. have. It's, it's like <laughs> it's, I said, I don't know. It's a good idea.
0: <laughs> hey, but you're willing to try it, right? I mean, isn't that you're what willing saying? to try it? <laughs> Which I think, I mean, to be honest, I, I do think one of the the. across the board, but specifically in that context, you know, connection and community is so needed. Um, And I think even as we come out of COVID and and in the middle of it still, um, I think we're seeing, you know, it's not a, it's not a lack of content right now. It's really about connection and community. Right. And not that people, not that, not that people don't want content, but there's not a, you know, there's not a shortage of content. There's a shortage of meaningful connection and, uh, community and, and, finding those ways. And so that's why I think it's even cool what you guys have been doing, but also building, you know, off that in the midst of this is saying, Hey, what are, what are we going to try? Um, we don't know what's going to work and what's not, but we're going to continue to try it. And, and I was curious too, you know, one of the things that you are really good at is, man, you have I told you this before uh, p- a couple of years ago, but I appreciate how much you are a man who really um, walks with Jesus in such a way that um, it's very evident that you've been praying and in the scripture and being still before him while at the same time allowing that to lead you through the systems, the structures, the strategies, you know, those things that that you um, are, are gifted at helping to to craft and create. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's a very, at least in my context, and again, um, I just turned 40, so it's I'm not like I <laughs> know every person that has uh, the gifts with systems and structures and strategies, but usually those things don't go together as much, um, or at least from my experience, you know, that there's this uh, usually a dependence on one or the other, but not both of those things working together in tandem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really appreciate that about you. And that's really led for you guys to have what I I have seen, and you call it like a discipleship pathway or a roadmap. Uh, but can you just share with us kind of even, and I know it's a very high view because there's a lot of things that are there, but can you talk to us a little bit about your uh, discipleship? And I would even call it, you know, another word for that is your leadership pathway as well, because really one of the things I've noticed about Hoboken grace is uh, you guys really do have an emphasis on development. Like you can't, um, yeah. I mean, when you go visit the site and when I talk to you, there's a clear emphasis. Even when you talked about the elder team, it's not, hey, yeah, we think you'd you fit these qualifications. No, there's more to it than that, right?
1: <laughs> like yeah.
0: like we're, we're looking for something deeper than just what, you know, whether you you match up with, you know, what Timothy, you know, first Timothy or Titus says, right? We're looking uh, for, for, you know, is there... Um, really alignment here and, and then to develop them to be ready to step into said, you know, position. So can you just talk to us a little bit about your, your, your pathway roadmap and whatever language you, you typically use with that, uh, share share that with us as well.
1: Yeah. So it's very interesting um, because I think the discipleship is discipleship is, 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 uh, more complicated than people think and simpler than people think at the, at the same time well, and uh, our leadership our, our development path is yeah a believe it or not it's a supplement so so what I mean what I mean by that is this um, if you, you you know my dad my dad is an amazing around the table, discipler. What I mean by that is this, my dad can sit down, uh, with a group of people around a table and walk you through Romans. And at the end of that time, your life will never be the same. Like I've seen it happen in thousands of people's lives. Not, not like a few people's lives. I've seen it happen in thousands of people's lives where he's walked them through this. At the end of it, they're completely different in the way they see God's different. Everything, all of it is different. And uh, I've been through that process with him so many times that I almost have it memorized. Mm-hmm. But if I sit down at a table with people and walk them through, and like I said, it's almost memorized, I can almost say exactly the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm a pretty good imitator when it comes mm-hmm. to communication, so I can almost say it the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, people are like, eh, that was all right. <laughs> like that, that was okay. And, um, and I, and for a long time I thought, man, I'm just not very good at discipleship. I'm not very good at discipleship. And, and to be honest, like I'm definitely more of, I, I'm definitely more gifted in terms of evangelism, um, and helping people take those initial steps. But at the same time, one of the things that I learned over the course of the last few years is that i'm not an, an around the table discipler so if you talk to the people in my life and you say man like okay how has chris impacted your life it's not going to be something that i taught them in a class mm. it's going to be something that we encountered along the way and then i was able to speak into that moment that situation that problem that they're working through because i'm on i'm an along the road discipler yeah which is which is a very different form of discipleship but and and it's important for pastors uh it's really important for anyone who's in leadership development so if you're listening to this you're not a pastor this is still important for you if if you're developing people inside your workplace if you're developing kids in school any of that you've got to figure out which one you are put a lot of emphasis on um make sure that you maximize that strength so we talk a lot about apprenticeship so much of our discipleship is based on apprenticeship. We want to get people in those relationships and we want to get, we're trying to help people build biblical communities. So we call it circles. So who are the Paul's in your life? Who are the Barnabas's in your life? Who are the Timothy's in your life? Uh, who are the, I call them felixes the people who don't know Christ in your life. That's based on Paul's relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, because I want people bumping into one another with the truth of who God is, and and discipling that way, and the majority of our system is based on that. But you have to understand with both sides of discipleship that there's strengths and weaknesses. So with my dad's side of discipleship, his strength is that it's very thorough. Because if you're if you are an around the table discipler, you know exactly the content you're working through. You know exactly what they're going to know you can lay out the whole thing and make sure you've got everything covered, right? Mm-hmm. But the weakness is that people who are discipled that way can oftentimes have a really hard time taking what they learned at the table and transitioning it into life. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if at the table that example wasn't used, they have a hard time being able to see it in real life. Mm-hmm. For an on the road discipler, people are learning along the way so it's very easy for them to be able to apply it and to be able to see the flexibility of principles, right? Or the, the, the vast array of how principles can be applied. But the weakness of an along the road discipler is that there could be massive gaps in the discipleship because you never encountered that problem. You never encountered that situation. So there can be these huge gaps that, man, you know what? We probably should have talked about that. But we, ne- <laughs> we never did. Yeah. And so the, the majority of our this development process is apprenticeship. We want apprenticeship constantly happening, whether it's someone apprenticing someone as a greeter on Sunday, whether it's a, someone apprenticing someone in, you know, not just as a leader in kids, in the kids ministry, but even as a, even as a volunteer, we want them apprenticing someone, building into someone else because you learn both from being apprenticed and apprenticing. So that's, that's the baseline fundamental. And then what we came in and did is that we said, okay, we know that this is, this is our primary method, but we also know that there are certain things that we want to make sure aren't missed. And that's where we built out on top of that apprenticeship process, very intentional, uh, very intentional classes and, um, and experiences environments that were able to supplement the able to supplement the apprenticeship process. And so we have a very, you know, every year we kind of lay out what that path looks like and we make tweaks and adjustments to it. Um, because, I mean, you know me well enough to know I'm never really satisfied with anything. So I'm always going to be tweaking it. Um, but it's really laying out from the time that you, Uh, first experience us in the community to when you walk into our services and you're in our next class after the service, it's not class, it's like 15 minutes, but (laughs) okay, what are we introducing people to there in that next environment? And then, okay, how are we moving people into a group? But we don't want to just get people into groups. We want to be able to prepare people for groups. We actually have uh, an online experience that you walk through before you, you know, that you should be walking through when, as you come into groups, um, and then to be able to, okay, how do we help people step into, uh, on, on an impact team in the training and development process of impact teams? One of the things I'm most excited about this next year is that I, we were finally able to hire an HR director yeah. and, uh, we stole him from a really prominent position. And I remember sitting down with him for the first time. And he, he said to me, he said, I mean, Chris, you have a staff of, you got a staff of like 12 people. Do you really think you need an HR director? And I said, I don't have a staff of twelve people. I have a staff of close to three hundred people, and I need you to onboard all of them. I, I i want I want that I want that greeter to be onboarded the same way that he same way that you'd be onboarded if you were working at you know so at chase good, down the road. And I want you to develop. I want you to further develop our process of onboarding team members. What is what's the what what's the orientation that they're going through as they're stepping onto that team. What's the, and this isn't just practical. This is, this, this is spiritual. This yeah. is because if you look at our onboarding for team members, it's mainly about developing a servant attitude and helping people see that if you think you're going to volunteer for Hoboken Grace, you should just not join a team hmm. because we don't do volunteers. Yeah. Right? right. We, we, We do servants, and that's what we want to develop in you. And if you don't want to be developed as a servant, you're really not going to like it here. Um, And and so you're working through heart issues there. And then being able to look at lead, which is, uh, we actually moved to a year-round program uh, where I'm meeting with all of our new leaders once a month and working through. And the curriculum isn't, it's not comprehensive. That's not the point. It's things that we know need to be hit that may or may not be hit in the apprenticeship process, but we don't want to leave gaps, big gaps. Um,
0: when you say new leaders, then, Chris, just to clarify, do you mean like new leaders of like directors? How would you define a new leader? Like are you any and every leader?
1: Any and every leader. Wow. That's good, so I've got, I think I've got 35 in the class right now.
0: And you meet what, when you use typically meet with those guys or girls, both. <laughs> so
1: I meet with them one Thursday a month. Okay. That's um, good,
0: man. And you do that for like a year. How long was it a that year?
1: Again? Yeah. A year and it never ends. So the contents the same every month. So a leader can jump into that at any point. And it's, it doesn't build on each month is a specific thing that we're talking through. Yeah. So good. So, man. So I never have to, there's no beginning to the process. It's whenever you jump in, that's where you began and you go for a year. And so that's, that's the the leadership side. We understood that there were things that we needed to, in terms of Bible study, in terms of um, just basic biblical knowledge that we wanted to, to develop. So we started Amplify, which is like a, it's basically a conference every year for our people where they get to choose a breakout. Uh, and in that situation, like we'll bring in seminary professors who are teaching like old Testament history, like give, uh, I want you to give our people four hours of old Testament history. I know you usually do it in a semester, but you need to get it into four hours, (laughs) but it's, but it's, but in, and people say, well, why do you do that? Well, I may or may not cover that stuff on Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you may or may not be with a leader who's able to walk you through some of that stuff of understanding how to be able to interact with the Old Testament, which is very different than how you should interact with the New, with the New Testament. Cool. So, um, and we really went through and said, okay, what are the fundamentals? So, so we have a class on every, in those breakouts, we have a class on every literature type, not on every book. We don't have enough time for that. We don't yep. have time for that you know, this isn't, this isn't comprehensive. What's the fundamental fundamental is apprenticeship Mm -hmm. and people teaching other people what they've learned and experienced and handing that off. So hopefully if you took that class, you're going to be able to build into others along the way. But we want to make sure that we've kind of built on top of that. Um, And then really, really uh, intentional training programs for uh, our elders, um, and then, uh, even when it, you know, even when it comes to ongoing, uh, training and development for our staff, uh, and our, our leaders in that way. So,
0: uh, so good. Cause I, I do think one of the challenges, um, I love how you kind of framed out the, the strengths and the weaknesses of each of those discipleship types from your dad's vantage point and, and your, your vantage point. I think one of the things I'm learning and I think even this conversation has been clarifying for me, you need the, the, the relational uh, part of, of what's going on, right? Like you need that yep. care yep. And, and that needs to be there. That's like, uh, I had a friend say, it's like a bike. So one pedal is like the care <laughs> part of it, but the other yep. pedal is the equipping, right? And yep. what, you need both of them to actually get the bike to move. And I love, what I love about what you guys have done, is I find it so helpful because it gives, you know, it gives credence to the, to to both of those, you know, like, you know, you need both of those things to happen. And really when you look at Jesus and, and I, you know, I know that a lot of us, as we think about what it is that um, we're, we're working through, you know, Jesus modeled so well, this idea of apprenticeship, you know, had people apprentice underneath him and, and work with him. And I, and I love how you guys have valued that so much, Chris. And, and really, I think no matter what you do, I, I think we all need to be asking. Like, So if you're on, in a church setting or some other type of setting, apprenticeship is a, a really a missed opportunity that I, I feel like we need to get back to. We need to get back to this idea of apprenticeship and, and doing, doing life um, in that way of as we go, but then having times to deeply uh, be developed as well. Well, Chris, man, this has been so fun, dude. I, uh, man, I am so grateful for you taking the time to connect with me today and us on the Vision for the Valley podcast. I wanted to ask, well, thank you, you. How can people connect with you? Like, what are some ways that they can connect with you and um, and connect with Hoboken Grace as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, our, our site is hobokengrace.com and, and really that's, that's the best way um, you're gonna be able to see our, our morning show on there and yeah. you know, what we're doing there as well as uh, the other content pieces. Um, I'm not a, not a, not a big social media person, <laughs> as I'm sure you've noticed uh, if you checked out my social media and um, I used to, I used to have a blog that we're trying to get back up, but we had someone, We actually had someone attack our site this last year. Yeah, no lie. And they they weren't able to bring down our site, but they were able to uh, pretty much destroy my personal one. So um, all sorts of fun, right? (laughs) You never know. You never know. Uh, 2020, the year of uh, possibility. (laughs) That's right.
0: Well, I was going to say, follow them also on Facebook um, and Instagram, uh, Hoboken Grace. Their content um, is really, really good on sharing stories. A lot of the stuff mm-hmm. Chris was highlighting, you get to see real life examples, which I really appreciate. And and part of the reason I wanted to have Chris on uh, beyond a lot of the things we talked about is I felt like um, there's so many questions I had <laughs> because I was like, man, how did he, how do they do that? You know, and even to hear, uh, even the the way in which you guys have rolled out some of those events, you know, and like, you know, you haven't endorsed them. (laughs) You've said, Hey, I'm not sure if this is a good idea or not, but this is what it's done. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, I, I just really think it's so valuable and and really even the heart of, of discipleship uh, of development. Chris, I really appreciate that about you, man. I appreciate that, that heart that you guys have and how you've been let out so well there. And uh, yeah, it's always fun to catch up with you, man. So thanks again for for joining the podcast and uh, yeah, appreciate all you do. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at vision for the Valley podcast at gmail.com.